Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. Peter reminds us, you know, his the opening to his book is he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, exiles mm-hmm. scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia. He goes on, and you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You're exiles, you're aliens. This series, we're studying 1 Peter, and I am so glad you're here. Today, we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Joining me today is author and pastor Andrew Arndt. He's the lead pastor of New Life East, one of the seven congregations of the New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Before joining the team at New Life, he was lead pastor at Bloom Church, a network of house churches in Denver. He is host of the Essential Church podcast, a weekly conversation designed to strengthen the thinking of the church and ministry leaders. He's the author of Streams in the Wasteland, which we'll talk a little bit about today, and All Flame. Andrew lives in Colorado with his wife, Mandy, and their four kids. Welcome, Andrew. So good to be with you, Angela. Oh, so glad you're here. Okay, so people know I am the producer for Susie Larson Live, and you were a guest. And when I heard the two of you talking about your book, Streams in the Wasteland, Finding Spiritual Renewal from the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and the beauty that can come from suffering, I thought, oh, I have to talk to Andrew about First Peter, <laughs> about suffering. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is so good. I'm so glad you're here. So we are talking about First Peter 4, 12 through 19. And we'll just, you know, what, can, what, has, what stood out to you in that section? Well, I think the first thing that stands out to me is that Peter says, don't be surprised. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know why it is, but I do think that we are surprised. And he calls it, I'm reading out of the NIV. I've been reading the NIV since I was 16. But he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So not only are we not supposed to be surprised, but then he says rejoice and he gives us reasons for that. And I just found myself so grabbed by that, Angela, as I was meditating on it this morning, because, you know, quite frankly, uh, suffering has been a surprise for me. Mm. And it took me a long time to get used to the idea that suffering, difficulty, opposition, struggle is a normal part of the Christian life. I am born and I'm 41 years old. I'm born and raised in the church. I, I was, my faith was reared in a non-denominational uh, Pentecostal kind of charismatic background. And the church of my childhood was a beautiful church. In fact, Streams in the Wasteland, I dedicated hmm. to those people. I just love them so much. And they modeled holiness for the mm-hmm. first time for me and le- it left a lasting impression on me. Um, so our community was a, a really healthy community full of good people. But I think as it was characteristic of the charismatic movement, at least then, and I think in lots of sections of the charismatic movement still now, there was an insufficient theology of suffering and difficulty. Mm. And we, when life hit the fan, we didn't really know what to do with that. And so it was either, you know, the devil is attacking you or your faith has failed in some way. And if you were really a faithful Christian, you know, if you really had enough faith, you wouldn't be experiencing all of this hardship. And so we quoted scriptures like, you know, Paul says that, um, you know, we're being changed from one degree of glory to the next glory to glory and glory to glory for us meant to kind of up into the right existence Mm -hmm. that was never broken off and it was never disrupted in any way. And so I was, I'll just say this, I was well 
into my early 30s before finally that bubble was burst for me. And it just, it finally like settled in my spirit that, wait, no, we're called to carry our cross with Jesus. That's mm-hmm. discipleship. Mm-hmm. And the cross dug into his back and he was pinned to that cross and he died to that cross, died on that cross. And he defined our own following by us doing the same thing in our lives. So where did I get the idea that life was just supposed to be, you know, super terrific happy hour all the time? That's a Seinfeld quote for any any (laughs) Seinfeld fans out there. But where did we get this idea from, you know? So I think for me, and I think for a lot of Christians, we are surprised at the fiery ordeal because somebody told us that when we signed up to follow Jesus, it just meant that everything was going to be amazing forever. And it's just not the way that it is. In fact, I think that, and Peter certainly says this, and the early church teaches us this, that following Jesus, in some ways, that's the beginning of sorrows, Mm -hmm. not because there's anything bad about following Jesus. We found the pearl of great price, but because we live in a world that's set against God. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to live the righteousness of God, how do you think it's going to go? Right. (laughs) Um, Against where you're living. (laughs) In a world, yes, in a world that is profiting off of unrighteousness. How do you think that this is going to go for you? Yeah. You know, it's going to be difficult. So uh, Peter's word, don't be surprised. That that grabs me. That's so good. I became a Christian at 19 in 1993, so people don't have to do the math in 48. Um, <laughs> but I, I agree. I don't even know that it was nece- if it was necessarily spoken, but there was this belief that if if we live a certain way, then, you know, if I put the right amount of change in the vending machine, I should get out what is it, what it is I want. Yeah. And so for me, you know, that came to my husband and I struggled. We have two boys by birth now, um, Mm -hmm. but we were struggling with infertility. And so I, and it really bumped up this bad theology that I didn't realize was bad at the time of Lord, I, you know, did all the things that I was supposed to do now time for you to like pony up what I'm wanting and yep. really having to wrestle with, okay, my yep. experience isn't matching what I thought he was. So which one has to give? Yeah. And it was me. <laughs> and it, it was is. me that I had to give. Don't you think, Angela, that part of the problem, I think about this one a lot. I think that we're so, in the American church, we're so steeped in a culture of consumerism mm-hmm. where we exchange one thing for something else that we want, that that can't help influence the way that we think about God. Yeah, And so I give you my faith and I give you obedience and you give me the life that I've always wanted. Yep. The and American I think dream. That the American dream. I think that that dies really hard. It died a hard death in me. I told this story uh, last weekend, actually, at the congregation where I, um, that I lead and that I preach at on a regular basis, New Life East. We're preaching through, um, we're preaching through the book of Nehemiah across mm-hmm. all of the New Life congregations. And my message last weekend was on what do we do when we encounter opposition and struggle? And I said, you know, I said to them, I go, you know, here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jewish guy living in the royal palace, serving the king. And he hears a report about what's going on in Jerusalem, that the wall is uh, only half built and the Jewish people are in disgrace. He's cut to the heart by that. And the call of God yanks him into Jerusalem and he gets there and he starts rallying the troops and people respond, you know, and you have this beautiful moment in chapter three where people pour in from the surrounding areas to help rebuild. But starting in chapter two and all the way through the rest of the book, he faces nothing but heightening opposition. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't opposition from people outside, it's opposition on the inside, <laughs> right. you know, and it's his own personal struggles. And so I just said to the New Life East, I said, like, let me just ask you, like, who told you that this was going to be easy? 
the call of God, actually, the deeper we go into the call of God, the deeper we go into our own discipleship, the closer we get to the great yeses of God over our lives, the more complicated and messy it gets us. And I told them this story. I remember being 31 years old. This is when the bubble finally burst for me. I was 31. I was pastoring in Denver. I had been in it for three years. And it just was not getting any easier. And I really did think up to that point in my life, I really thought, okay, at some point we climb, we get to the top of the hill mm -hmm. and then you get to the easy part mm -hmm. coasting and it's going to be, you know, everything's going to be amazing. And so I'm 31 and not feeling the amazingness, but it's still holding out hope that it was right around the corner. And I sat down with a pastor who was 20 years older than me. So he was about 50 years old. And I listened to him talk about his experience and all of that. And then at the end of the breakfast, um, I said to him, I go, okay, if you could go back and talk to yourself as a young pastor, my age, what would you say? And he said to me, he goes, I think I would say you're going to be fine. Mm. And I said this, I, so I went, I leaned back in my chair. I went, oh, that's so good. I said, and this is me reflecting back to him. I go, everything's going to be okay. And he stopped me. And he goes, I did not say that everything is going to be okay. Huh. Everything is not going to be okay. You're going to encounter opposition in your ministry. There's going to be difficulty in your family. You're going to see friends peel out of the faith and not walk with you anymore. It is not going to be okay, but you are going to be fine. And that was his way of saying that no matter what you face, God is going to carry you through it and you can trust God with it. And that was when the finally, like the bubble of everything's going to be amazing was gloriously burst for me because it just made me go, oh, okay. So normal discipleship is that we say yes to God and it's challenging because we live in a world that's set against God. Yeah. And if it's not the world opposing us, it's the devil opposing us. And if it's not the world and the devil opposing us, you know, uh, the New Testament says that our, it's our own flesh will oppose us. Mm -hmm. Like we'll experience even opposition internally, you know, that fight with that part of us that doesn't want to say yes to God. It's going to be a struggle for the rest of our lives. Get used to it. And yeah. if you can, you'll find God in it. And you'll actually be a better person for it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the, uh, that I've discovered when, you know, walking, through, because after we had this infertility, then we, I had uh, 12 losses in four years, some of them significant, like my mm -hmm. mom. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a personality type that runs away from pain. And so mm -hmm. then I, there was so much pain. I couldn't run away from it. And there was so much suffering. I could no longer, you know, go around it or, you know, yep. go over it or under it. I had to go through it. Yes. And there was such intimacy with God that I experienced in that yep. process that yep. I, that I never, I, I, I miss my mom, mm. but there, I would not have the intim intimacy with the Lord that I have had I mm. not had those losses. Mm -hmm. And so while I don't want to go through them again, <laughs> right? Um, I'm so grateful for, you know, what, what came from them, what came from that suffering. I can't tell you how many people, Angela, I've talked to that have said something exactly like that. Like they would, they will say, I wouldn't want to go through it again. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I also wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Mm -hmm. And I had a I had a spiritual director mentor gal in my life years ago say to me, she said, you know, Andrew, I was in the middle of a really difficult season. And she goes, Andrew, you know what the question you need to be asking right now is? And I said, what? And she said, you need to be asking God, who are you trying to be for me now that you couldn't be for me in any other season? Mm. <laughs> and I've carried that question now for about a decade. 
that every time I face something that just feels like my life is falling apart or the world is against me, I'll go, God, where are you in this? Who are you trying to be for me right now? How are you trying to reveal yourself to me in a mm -hmm. way that I couldn't know you before? And by the way, that is exactly what Peter is saying. He says that when you're going through the difficult thing, verse 13, he says that you're participating in the sufferings of Christ. So in some way, we're drawing near to Christ Jesus in his own obedience when we obediently walk through the difficult things of our lives. And then he says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're actually blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Mm -hmm. And so we, we are, and there's a Trinitarian formula right there. You know, like we're drawing near to Jesus, the Lord, mm -hmm. we're drawing near to the spirit of God and we're drawing near to the father himself. Somehow we're inside the reality of God. And when I think about the hard things that I've been through, every single one of them has been, it's been an epiphany for me. It's been a moment of seeing God in a new way. And I wouldn't want, like you said, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because what's the prize? Yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, when you look at Jesus's suffering and look at everything that came because yeah. of his suffering. Yeah. I mean, it was ours, not, we can't bring salvation from our suffering. That's what Jesus brought from his right. suffering. But there is, there is good work that God can do. That's right. Through our suffering or with our suffering. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's important to claim those things. You know, when mm -hmm. I think about, I think about the value and I, Peter, I, Peter doesn't exactly say this in this particular text, although he says it earlier, he alludes to it earlier in verse one, where he says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves, which I do like that. Like you're going to go through difficult things. So what are you going to do? You're going to arm yourself with the same attitude Whoever suffers in their body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So it seems to me that our faithfully enduring difficulties of whatever sort, I think it has two impacts on us. I think one, if we'll let it, it'll purify us. It'll, it'll straighten out our motives. It'll make us cleaner in our spirits and more faithful in our obedience. But then I think also people are impacted by it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there are people that we're serving inside of our calling. So I think about, you know, I think about all of those moms out there who they've got four jelly faced toddlers, you know, and they're at home and they're trying to make sense of like, this is just so hard. I mean, I think about our kids are a little bit older now, but when our kids were young, it is just man, hard work mm -hmm. just on a daily basis felt like it was insurmountable sometimes. And I watched the way that my wife walked through that season. Like she's got a calling to be a mom. And when you get into it, you know, every little girl, when they think about being a mom, it's all romantic. It's all holding babies and cuddling and cooing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you're not envisioning sleepless nights, but you say yes to the call and you get into the call. And if you'll stay submissive to the spirit in it, it'll make you a better person. And I've watched, I watched my wife mature. I watched her spirit come out through that season. And oh, by the way, She's, you know, together we've raised these four great kids and it's her effort staying faithful to her calling. It, it has been a means of salvation in the world. It's been a participating in those saving sufferings of Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul says that about the, he says that in Colossians. He goes, I, I'm rejoicing at what I've endured for you. And I fill up what is lacking of the sufferings of Christ in my flesh because I'm trying to see you complete in Christ. So we both get better and the world around us gets better as we stay faithful, as we endure through the difficult things. Well, and I love what you said too about 
Our perspective, making sure that we keep our perspective right, too. I mean, yeah. Hebrews talks about because of the joy set before him, he in, yep. Jesus endured the cross. He could see, he knew what was on, on the other side. And there, yeah. there are times, I think, when we can go through suffering and not know, you know, what good is going to come from it, which yeah. makes it more difficult to go through. But mm-hmm. to know that, that God is using it, that God has a plan, that he's bigger, that his vantage point is yes. far more vast than yeah. ours is, and that he yes. has a plan and is working all of these things. Now that we've talked a little bit about, you know, what the suffering looks like personally, let's talk about it on a bigger level with, you know, the church suffering. We're, you know, seeing a, a pivot in our culture, a change in our culture where Christianity doesn't have the same place of privilege that it had before. And so, and I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of people are flailing maybe, to figure out how to, what do we do in this situation, which, which is why I love mm. that that's what you talked about in Streams in the Wasteland was looking back at the time of, you know, the beginning of monasticism when people were actually mm-hmm. looking for opportunities to suffer because they saw the value in it. So, you know, what, what do you have to say or what do you have to offer to the church as we find ourselves living in this, you know, new and different time where we are not in a position of as much privilege as we had before? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is that for the longest time, we kind of thought that, you know, the end game was that Christians are in the majority of a society, and the society is a Christian society, and then we can all live happily ever after, and maybe this will just kind of magically become the new Jerusalem, you know, mm-hmm. and I just think that that's, a, that's not the right kind of dream, you know, the new Jerusalem is a gift that's given from above. And um, it's not a human achievement. And I think that in some ways we turned it into that. We kind of felt like America is supposed to be, this is supposed to be a Christian nation. And then when big surprise, it turns out that it's not a Christian nation. <laughs> you know, like we have, we have Christian roots. There's a Christian underpinning. There's a Christian atmosphere. But by definition, this is a nation state that's welcoming to people of all faiths and inclinations and dispositions. It's not a Christian nation. And so when all of a sudden we have this rising tide of secularism and we feel like the nation is slipping away from us, I think that we're just alarmed and we're alarmed at what's going to happen to us, alarmed at what's going to happen to our kids. And now all of a sudden we're in a situation where we're on the defensive and we never really imagined being here. And that's where I think first Peter can be helpful to us. Like Peter reminds us, you know, his, the opening to his book is he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, exiles Mm -hmm. scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia. He goes on, and you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You're exiles, you're aliens, you're strangers, you know? You're not the possessors of this homeland. Like, you're, you're ones that are passing through. And I think remembering that helps us heed his words in chapter four, where he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're suffering. So that's a long way of saying, I think that for a lot of us, we need to just let the idea of this being a Christian nation go. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to influence public policy. I think that the Christian ideal of how to live life is the best ideal in the world. And I think that we should advocate for it, but we can't get mad when the world doesn't want to live that way. That's just the world being the world, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that it's probably high time for us to let it go. I think it's probably high time for us to embrace an exilic kind of calling in our nation. And here I'm thinking about Jeremiah 29, where the Lord says to his people, this is what you're going to do in the city to which I've sent you into exile. 
pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the welfare and the shalom of that city. Build houses, settle down. Like, just be good citizens there. And I'll, I'll take care of you. It's not going to be easy, but I'll take care of you. So I think that we got to behave like aliens and strangers. And I think that, Angela, I think that we have to do it with a sweet spirit. Because I do see a lot of people, there's a number, you know, of believers out there, movements out there where they're going, okay, the nation is slipping away from us. But then what they're doing is they're shaking their fist at the world mm. and they're mad at the Democrats or they're mad at the whoever's or they're mad at the, you know, they're mad at the liberals or the secularists or they're mad. At, they're just mad. And Jesus models for us a better way of having our back against the wall. And here he is pinned to the hard wood of the cross after all he's done has love. He's just, he's loved these people. He's served these people. He's healed these people. He's tried to help these people. He's literally pouring out his life for these people and they have done nothing to him but crucify him. And what does he say from the cross? Oh, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't have any clue what they're doing. That now, that right there, that is the authentic heart of God for humanity. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I want to see more believers do that. I want to see more believers give their best to the world even though they know that it might be a losing effort. And when the world spits in their face, I want them to go, God, they don't know what they're doing. I want them to have sweetness of spirit, mildness of spirit, humility and love in their spirits and not shaking their fist at the world. So I think that's what I would say. I, I think that, and I think that we're not, you know, I <laughs> hear a lot of Christians these days going, well, things are getting so hard. I wish Jesus would just return tomorrow and maybe he will, but it might be that we live out the full length of our days here too. How then shall we be? Peter tells us, don't be surprised. You're exiles here and walk with Jesus in the midst of this. Be like Jesus in the midst of this. That's, I think, what I would say to people. Yeah. And I love what you, where you ended there about spending time with Jesus and being with Jesus, being in his word. Yeah. Because, and, yep. you know, and listening prayer, <laughs> you know, spending time in prayer yes. where we are listening and not talking, but just yes. being with the Lord and letting him do the work. That's it. Because it softens our hearts. Yeah. And that's how we're going to end up be having the sweet spirit, being able to say, Lord, forgive yeah. them because we've been in his presence. That's the only way we, we are we going are to do in, it. Because we are in his presence. Yeah. And that's what he says. When you're suffering, when you're going through the difficulty, you're actually as close to him as you could possibly mm. be. And so just accept that prayerfully. One of the desert fathers, I love this, Abba Nilus was his name. And he said that prayer is the seed of gentleness and the absence of anger. Mm. So how about when we feel like our nation is being taken away from us, maybe our rights are being taken away, this is happening, that is happening. What if we just accept that as something that has come to us because we're believers and is actually a joyful inheritance of ours, and we sit in it prayerfully until our spirits become soft and sweet, the seed of gentleness and the absence of anger, so that we can look square in the eyes of those people that we feel like are doing the worst to us and say to them, God bless you. Mm -hmm. That... That's when we come and Jesus says that that's when you're most like your father in heaven is when you're kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So I think we got a long way to go, but at least the roadmap is clear, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sure is. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about a couple of guests that we've ha we had on Susie Larson live recently. I want to say it was Jim Cimbala and Max Licato. And mm. they were talking mm. about, she asked them their perspective as long term, you know, long, long term pastors you know, what, what are some of their thoughts on the times in which we find ourselves living? And both mm. of them talked about the excitement of being alive at this time. 
when oh. you know the the that there are people around the world that are coming yeah. to the Lord in droves and yeah. the opportunities that we have to spread the gospel and to let people know about Jesus and there was this hopefulness that you know really stuck out to me as you know who you know these men who have you know decades and decades of the hard work that like what you were talking about as a young 31 year old pastor thinking how can i yeah. do this yeah. they've been doing that work and are yeah. so hopeful and so excited about and it was contagious and it was wow. it was a good mind shift for me to be like yeah yeah you know the lord has me at this time cuz he's going to do mm. something mm. I love that. I, that that is very telling, isn't it? Yeah. Here are these men that with the with the with the the vantage point of a whole life lived before the Lord, and they understand church history. They can say what they're saying about this moment. I, it reminds me of the great state. I think it was Tertullian, one of the early church leaders. Maybe it was Irenaeus. I can't remember. Uh, Tertullian. He said that the blood of the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, mm. and the church has always been at its best when its back was against the wall. So I do think in this moment, I think we should go. Spirit of God, what are you doing? Mm. How do you want to use me today? How is the light of Christ going to shine more brightly rather than being reduced to bitterness and anger at what was taken away from us? So my friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Peter's words are more relevant than ever, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Mm. Well, Andrew, is there any, you know, anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we talk about with this passage? I I think the one thing that I would say about it, and we've alluded to it several times, is that it's one thing just to kind of, you know, manfully or womanfully go through suffering, you know, like the Stoics did mm-hmm. during the early centuries of the church. But for us, it's relational. We know that we have a companion in our in our sufferings. And sometimes the suffering is very large suffering. It's great difficulties like you've been through and I've been through. It's big things happening in our culture. But some of it, honestly... Angela is just the mundane cross carrying of the daily. My wife and I have just been through a really, really demanding season and I am so tired. I am flat tired and I'm waking up at five in the morning, getting ready for my day. And I'm going, I don't want to do that today, God. And I have this little cross that sits on my nightstand next to the chair where I pray in the morning. It's made out of olive wood from an olive tree in Israel. And I grab that when I'm in those moments where I'm just like not wanting to do it. Mm. I grab that cross and I go, this is what you did, Jesus. You carried your cross and you were faithful to your calling. You carried the cross into the heart of the world. So would you help me today be faithful to my calling? I don't really want to do this. I'd rather call in sick. I'd rather take a (laughs) mental health day than watch Netflix all day, but help me carry my cross into the heart of the world. And, uh, and I just always sense the presence of God steal in when I do that, that, oh yeah, we're doing this together and I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm going to be fine, whatever difficulty the day throws at me. So I just encourage people, you know, I don't think you have to look for the big trial. I think just the trial, the ordinary aches and pains of living faithfully to our calling. I think that's enough of a training ground for us and, and just know that God is with you in it. Stay close to Jesus. That's what I'd say. Yep. When you suffer, you're not alone. He's with you. Not alone. Nope. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Angela. Thank you for joining us for this conversation about 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And we'll see you next time where we discuss 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, 
consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at MyFaithRadio.com. 